Well, thank you all for uh, coming today. I appreciate it. Um, I'd like to uh, start with a quick show of hands. Uh, how many of you think that kids are pretty much all the same and that the best thing we could do for them educationally would be to treat them uh, identically, teach them the same things at the same ages? Anybody? Okay. I guess, I guess we have no... Florida Supreme Court justices with us then today, unfortunately. Um, many of you are aware of the decision by the Florida Supreme Court earlier this month uh, in which they ruled, based on the state's uh, uniformity clause, that the only system that Sunshine State legislators can offer educationally to that state's citizen is a uniform state-run monopoly. No other system is permitted uh, for legislators, as legislators to even consider. Now, fortunately, that ruling is only binding in Florida. Uh, in the rest of the country, legislators, policymakers are still looking at alternatives uh, to the status quo in education. They're looking at other systems to provide parents with more choice and schools with more competition. They're doing that because they believe that uh, more competitive, more choice-driven systems are better for kids, they're better for society, and they're better for taxpayers. And there's a lot of evidence on these points already accumulated, and some of it's on uh, display out there in the books and uh, policy analyses that we have. Um, but these programs differ quite a bit in their details from one to another, uh, both within the United States and between the U.S. and other countries. And so it's important for us to look at the specific details of each of these programs and find out how they're actually working in practice. And that's what the paper by Susan Ott and Leon Mikos does uh, it looks at the specifics of the Washington, D.C. voucher program and asks how it is affecting um, the fiscal operations of the district and how it would affect these operations if it were expanded and under a couple of other different assumptions. Now, that study is going to be uh, introduced to us today by Robert Enlow, who is the executive director of the Milton and Rose D. Friedman Foundation. And uh, apart from being the sort of guy you'd like to have in the trenches when the revolution comes, uh, Rob is uh, very much an expert on the state of education reform in uh, all of the states around the country. Uh, he studied at Oxford University and purports to understand the game of cricket, but uh, I believe we can trust him anyway. Um, Susan Odd teaches advanced quantitative methods courses to uh, the best and brightest at Johns Hopkins University. And she has done a great deal of research in um, analyzing the budgets of school districts around the country and states around the country, and also on the competitive and financial effects that school choice programs have on public schools. Uh, Leon Mikos has, is a professor of economics at George Washington University and has also done a lot of empirical work on education uh, from effects of class size to effects of mathematics achievement on later earnings. So uh, I wish that I could also introduce you today uh, Mr. Kevin Chavis, but he unfortunately was ill and was not able to make it. Uh, however, um, I think we will nonetheless have a very interesting program for you, and I'll now hand it over to uh, Robert and let him uh, introduce the study. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I absolutely do understand cricket, and I love it. Um, and anyone who's ever watched it knows it has great names, like Silly Mid-Off and Long On. Those are the positions that people play. It's very good. Um, as Andrew said, my name is Robert Enloe, and I'm the executive director of the Milton Rose Friedman Foundation. Our job at the Milton Friedman Foundation is to advance Milton's idea of school choice uh, for children uh, across the country in every state. We're pleased to be here and to sponsor this study with Cato. We're very grateful, and we're grateful to Cato to uh, host this event as well. Until recently, the debate, in my opinion, surrounding the savings or potential savings from voucher programs could be boiled down to two sort of distinct sound bites. On the pro-voucher side, we said, in theory, a choice system will lead to the delivery of a better quality product at a lower cost than the education monopoly. On the anti-voucher side, they said, choice will drain money from public schools uh, and from a public school system that is woefully underfunded already. More efficiency versus more money. That was the argument. Now, quite apart from the argument that the anti-voucher message may be easier to understand and intuitively more believable by the public, the pro-voucher side made its argument in spite of three glaring facts, in my opinion. 
First, we responded to the all we need is more money argument with a no, you don't. And that didn't work in the public. Second, our belief in the efficiency of choice was not backed up by credible studies uh, on the actual savings arising from existing or potential voucher programs. And third, we as a movement didn't really know much about how school financing actually worked. We sort of ceded this ground to the educrats, if you were. So thankfully, I'd like to say that the pro-voucher side is getting its act together, and we've started to address these issues. And I'm pleased to say that the positive results, which will be presented shortly in this study, actually are not isolated results. These are results that are in line with now a series of studies over the last two years. And let me set the context for this study by, by going over those. Believe it or not, no state or city with an existing voucher program or school choice program has seen its public school budget go down. Now, the claim that school choice drains money may sound plausible. In general, schools get per-pupil funding and on a per-pupil basis, so fewer students means less money. So in general, it sounds plausible. But the fact is existing and proposed school choice programs improve public school financing and give public schools more money to educate each student. Let me give you three quick examples. In addition, I'd like to, Chris uh, Summers from Maryland Public Policy Institute also did one of these studies that you should all know about. Um, but a 2005 study of Arizona's school financing system found the state spends roughly between $8,500 to $9,000 on each student, and that students receiving a proposed voucher of $35 to $4,500 would actually save the state $32 million a year if 5% of the students moved. A study of, of a proposed voucher program in Minneapolis found that the city's public schools spend $13.6 per student, and that a voucher worth $4,600 would save the, the state $16 million annually. And again, Milwaukee has found the same thing. Now, facing numbers like these, our opponents of choice usually argue that they don't account for fixed costs. If a student leaves, they say the lights still have to be turned on. Okay? But studies that control for fixed costs also find significant savings from voucher programs. In 2005, a study by Clemson found that after controlling for these costs, a $4,000 to $4,600 voucher program would save South Carolina $594 million in its first five years. A study by Utah State found that savings in Utah would be between 26 and 144 million annually. And studies of proposed programs in New Mexico and New Hampshire found savings of 63 million over 10 years and 9 million respectively. In the end, the evidence as well as the new evidence from this study in DC is giving voucher proponents and supporters the kind of credible evidence necessary to change our argument from in theory school choice will save money to, in practice, school choice does save money and both public and private schools uh, benefit. So with that, I'm pleased to introduce Susan Odd, who is with, uh, one of the authors of the study in Leon Mikos, to go over the DC voucher results. Good morning. First, I'd like to thank the Cato Institute and the Friedman Foundation for sponsoring this study. This study was done on um, the DC uh, Opportunity Scholarship Program because when the law got passed in 2004, part of the, the law regarding this program is that, um, uh, there we go, that uh, the participants are being studied very closely for academic achievement effects. And the, the program itself is kind of seen as an experiment in order, you know, that the federal government is funding so we can kind of have an idea of how a voucher program might work on a larger scale. <laughs> but one thing that has not yet really been looked at until today is how it's affecting the finances of the D.C. government and the D.C. public school system. And that's a very important question because a big rationale for voucher programs is that they will improve efficiency, as Robert said, and actually improve the finances of the school systems in which they occur. And the question is, is that happening here? So uh, Leon and I did this study over the past year to see how the Opportunity Scholarship Program has changed the finances of, like I said, D.C. city government and the D.C. public school system, both from a revenue and from a cost perspective and from a per-student perspective. So we could see exactly what the impact have, has been of this program. I'm going to go over the major findings, and Leon's going to provide more of the detail, and certainly we'll, we'll take any questions that you have about it, because one overriding uh, issue here is that D.C. and D.C.P.S. are kind of complicated, like so many states, but there's a few layers of bureaucracy here, and so it was a little complicated to figure out exactly how it worked in the first place, and then to see 
what happens when you change it by introducing the um, Opportunity Scholarship Program. So, um, see if I can get this to go. Oops, sorry, went, went too far. So the first two major findings, the first major finding is that um, the program currently saves the city of D.C. $8 million, and it provides a net gain of $5 million to DCPS. This is because the program is federally funded. So our study is based on 2003-2004 data, where about 1,000 students participated and received vouchers. The maximum amount of the voucher they could receive is $7,500. And um, the way D.C. is funded, the D.C. city government funds students at DCPS through the use of a funding formula, like most states, where you count the students up, you multiply them times a base amount, and depending on their grade level and a couple of student characteristics, that gets weighted to be slightly higher uh, for, for students that are considered more, more expensive to educate. So, for example, high school students get the highest amount and fourth and fifth graders get the base amount. And the base amount of this funding formula is around $7,000. But the average amount is like $8,000 when you figure in high school students and English language learners and that type of thing. And because the um, voucher is $7,500, in fact, every student uh, it falls in under that formula amount. But in the current program, what happens is the D.C. city government just no longer has to fund those 1,000 students to the tune of around 8000 per student. So they save about $8 million in funding that they don't have to send to DCPS. Similarly, DCPS does not receive that $8 million in funding, but the current law includes a $13 million federal grant. So in the end, DCPS loses 1,000 students but ends up $5 million ahead, which means it's much higher um, on a per-student basis, and it's generally just kind of a big windfall for them, which is nice, but it sort of takes away the benefit of uh, competition in that it creates pressure for DCPS to try to keep their students. In fact, right now there's an incentive for them to join the program because it leaves more money behind for the remaining students. And DC doesn't have to pay for them because the federal government does. So we ran this out in some different scenarios, one of which would be locally funding this program, which gives you the benefit of creating competitive pressure and ideally would have DCPS working to keep their students. And even under that situation, because the voucher amount is less than the current funding formula amount, D.C. city government still saves, even if they paid the voucher rather than the federal government, they still would have saved in that year, 2003-2004, $250,000. And finally, because of that, making it universal, in other words, right now it's only for low-income students, making it a universal program, and locally funded, and in fact expanding it uh, would just save even more, depending on what percentage of students you want to assume go. Uh, so basically, right now it's a huge windfall for DC and DCPS, which is not probably one of the biggest you know, rationales for putting in a voucher program, but it could be restructured to make it a good voucher program financially, and still DC and DCPS would not, would not be suffering, as you will. You will. Um, in addition, basically this is what I just said. If there's a reverse incentive here to have students join the program. DCPS doesn't have to educate them. They end up financially ahead. DC city government doesn't have to pay for them. So that is sort of, by definition, not going to lead to the kind of results where you see it being a rising tide that lifts all boats. You know, we're not going to see a big benefit in the students that remain in DCPS unless they have some incentive to try to improve. It could be restructured and still would not cause DCPS to, you know, fall apart or crumble or whatever the general threat is, and it would create, um, hopefully, the pressure to improve the quality of their programs. You know, when the charter schools have opened in D.C., uh, parents have left in droves, basically, for every available seat, and this program is oversubscribed. There's more interest than what they can uh, meet with, and DCPS has had declining enrollment because of students moving to Maryland, Virginia, and just out of the system. And there needs to be something built into this system to compel them to work to keep their students. There needs to be some financial gain to be had for that reason. And, you know, setting it up so that there's a financial gain to be had from having the students leave sort of um, begs the question of the, of the program. Sorry, now it's gone. 
Um, well, there was a final point there, which is that, um, I don't know if you can turn that off or not, which is that, um, I'll unplug this, which is that DC uh, funding right now of the um, DCPS has got a lot of problems, which when we looked into this in detail, there are things like there's one formula for the DC city government to fund DCPS that includes a base amount and weights and student counts. There's a whole separate formula that DCPS uses to fund their schools that has a different base amount, different sets of weights, and different categories of students. This is within one 60,000 student district. You have one formula to fund them and one formula to fund the schools that don't coordinate, and that's a problem. In addition, only about less than half of the total funding in DCPS gets to the classroom about 47%. The other 53% goes to sort of central office functions and, and other functions, but I think that's the lowest percentage in the nation. And that's, that's not good. And you've got the, the facilities problem and the certified teachers problem. So there's all these kind of different problems. And in reality, if you opened it up to choice and if the, the funding followed the student and they were compelled to try to keep their students, a lot of these financial problems with bureaucracy taking off a piece, uh, taking off a chunk here and there, and with the non-coordination of funding formulas, a lot of those would sort of dissipate if you change the um, power from those bureaucracies that are each trying to protect themselves to the parents and gave them the opportunity to choose their, their child's school. But within these scenarios, there's a lot of sort of detailed information, which Leon's going to go through for you, and it's in the report too. So and we'll take questions when we're done. I'd like to start off by discussing the, me the mechanics behind this paper. That, that is, I'd like to explain how we came up with the numbers that we came up with. Uh, due to technical constraints, uh, I wasn't able to provide a PowerPoint presentation. But uh, I provided a handout that's about two pages long. Does everyone have it? Just out of curiosity. How many of you don't have it? A few. Would it be possible for someone to get copies for them? Because what I'd like to do is just go through some detail on how DCPS does collect money from the city of DC and how they distribute that money to the schools within DCPS. Now, for the most part, DC public schools collect and distribute money uh, based on two funding formulas. The first funding formula is referred to as the UPSFF. That's table one in my handout. Let me just let people collect this. Um, this formula is used to collect money from the DC government. Or it's used for, um, to collect money from the DC uh, government. The next funding formula is the WSF which is table two in my handout. Well, once DCPS has collected this money from, from uh, the DC government, they distribute money to schools based on a per student basis. The WSF is the formula that they use to do that. Uh, the funding formulas depend on student enrollment and student characteristics. In 2005, the fiscal year 2005, for each DCPS student, the city of DC provided DCPS with a minimum of $6,903. In addition, DCPS can receive additional funds based on certain student characteristics. For example, a pre-kindergarten student would receive $6,903 multiplied by 1.17, or that comes out to $8,600. That is, a student with that characteristic would receive a little over $8,000 in funding. A student, a pre-kindergarten student that is classified as special education level two would receive $6,903 multiplied by 1.17, the weight for pre-kindergarten, plus 
$6,903 multiplied by the weight associated with special education level two, which is 0.85. That comes out to $13,944. That is a student with those characteristics, a DCPS student with those characteristics would receive $13,944 from the city of DC. Once DCPS collects this money, they distribute a portion of it to the schools within DCPS. They use the second formula, the weighted student formula, or the WSF to do so. Each student, each school receives a minimum of $4,260 for each student that attends that school. In addition, schools can receive additional funds based on certain characteristics. Now, if you look at the second to last column, a 12th grade student that is classified as special education level two and receives free and reduced lunch, that student will collect $4,260 multiplied by one, which is the weight for basic level funding, plus $4,260 multiplied by 0.5, which is the weight for special education level two, plus $4,260 multiplied by 0.1, which is the weight for free and reduced lunch. That is, a student with those characteristics will receive a, a little over $8,000 in funding from DCPS. Now, Given these two funding formulas, and knowing that a little over a thousand students uh, participated in the voucher program, it was 1,027 <coughs> to be exact. But given this information, what we wanted to do is we wanted to calculate the impact this program would have on the DC government and on DCPS. Well, to calculate this impact, all we need to do is take these 1,027 students, and if you look at table one, just match these students with their characteristics in that table. We did so, and we found out that, that um, UPSFF funding would fall by approximately $8 million as a result of this program. That is, when 1,027 students leave, funding through UPSFF falls by almost $8 million. Now, the D.C. government saves this money. That is, DC, that is, because the D.C. government no longer has to fund these students, they save approximately $8 million. So the current program is a net benefit for the D.C. government. They're, much, they're, they're better off by approximately $8 million. But DCPS loses that money because there are fewer students so their funding has fallen by approximately $8 million. In addition, if you take a look at the second table, the WSF, the schools lose approximately $5.8 million in funding. That is, if we take these 1,027 students and apply it, match their characteristics with table two, you'll find out that funding to schools will fall by about $5.8 million, I believe it is. But don't forget, under the current program, the DC, not the D.C. government, but the federal government provides DCPS with a $13 million grant. So DCPS lost almost $8 million in UPSF funding, but they gained $13 million because of the federal grant. So when we so when we take into consideration the loss and the gain, DCPS ends up actually gaining $5 million. So their enrollment fell, and at the same time, their um, funding went up. So from their point of view, they're better off. As a matter of fact, from their point of view, I, I think it makes sense to expand the program. They would lose students and collect more revenue. Now. One reason given to justify this federal grant of $13 million is an argument given quite often by voucher opponents. And the argument goes something like this. Um, 
most school expenses are fixed in nature. So when students leave the system, schools find it difficult to respond to lower funding by reducing costs. Now what they're saying is this. Again, take a look at the WSF funding. Through this program, we see that the funding actually fell by about $5.8 million. What the, arg what the claim is, is that all right, the funding is going to fall, but schools just do not have the ability to cut costs. So, the, so they're going to be stuck. They're going to have less money and these high costs. Well, what we did in this study is we tested this claim. And we went about it um, by what we actually did was we created cost estimates for educating different types of students. And these dis different types of students are basically based on some of the characteristics we see in the funding formulas. We created the cost of educating a typical special ed student. In addition, we did the same for students that receive free and reduced lunch and for students that are uh, classified as limit limited English proficiency. Finally, we created a cost estimate for students that receive basically just the basic funding. So we had these four different cost estimates um, associated with the different students. And from that, we found out that under the current program, DCPS can quickly reduce expenditures by about $5.7 million. That is, the WSF, schools lose $5.8 million in WSF funding, but almost dollar for dollar, schools can reduce um, costs. So the claim that, that schools cannot respond um, by reducing cost is not borne out in this study. And uh, as an example, a few weeks ago, I read an article in the Washington Post, and Again, I don't know if this is etched in stone, but I heard that, or at least the article made the claim that DCPS is getting ready to lay off about 1,200 teachers. And what they're going to do is they're going to focus on the teachers who aren't certified. But if you look at enrollment um, at DCPS over the last three or four years, it's gone down a lot. So I think if this turns out to be the case, that they do lay off these teachers, it just provides more evidence that indeed they can reduce expenditures uh, in the face of, of lower funding and low, lower enrollment. Now, after we did this, um, we proceeded by analyzing the current system under a couple of different scenarios. The first one was what we did was we assumed that the DC government funded the program, not the federal government, because right now the federal government's funding this. In addition, we assumed that uh, DCPS did not receive the $13 million in federal grants. Well, under this scenario, since the voucher amount is the same, we're going to get the same number of voucher students. So. If you're looking at the funding formulas, the reduction in revenue or money due to fewer students is going to be the same in this scenario as under the current program. That is, UPSFF funding will continue to fall by $8 million, and WSF funding will fall by roughly $6 million. So again, because the voucher is the same amount, it shouldn't impact the number of students that participate. But under this scenario, the D.C. government is paying for the voucher. The voucher is $7,500, and there are 1,027 students that participated. The cost of this to the government is going to be about $7.7 million. So DCP, excuse me, the D.C. government saves about $8 million because they've got to pay to educate fewer students but they've got to pay for the voucher. The difference is a gain to the, to the government of roughly $260,000. So their gain fell from roughly $8 million to $260,000. But nonetheless, even if they fund it, there will be a gain. Now, DCPS, well, since the same amount of students left, nothing really happened to their revenues in terms of revenue or money coming from the city to them. 
but they lost the, the $13 million grant. So instead of being, what was it, $5 million up in revenue, uh, they end up losing the $8 million in money that they would have gotten from the city. But again, let's remember that they can reduce their costs, so they pretty much break even. Now, we took it a step further and we looked at average spending per student before the, before the voucher, under the current system, and under the system in which the program's funded by uh, the, D the DC government. And we found for the most part, when you take into consideration all the spending or all the revenue that DCPS gets, because they get more money than just from the city. They also get federal grants, and there are some other uh, monies that they have access to. That, that um, under either voucher system, spending per student slightly goes up. It doesn't go up by that much. It may go up, I think it's by about $100, depending on how you want to define average spending but it goes up slightly relative to the situation or scenario in which uh, there is no voucher system. So while, while revenue is going down, where, where the school system is getting less money, actually spending per student is going up slightly. Now the last scenario we looked at was a universal voucher system. And by universal we mean it applies to all the students within DCPS. So it's just for current DCPS students. And we found, just to give you the details on this, um, or the numbers, we found that if 10% of all DCPS students um, opted for a voucher, the DC government would save $2,803,000. DCPS funding under the UPSFF would fall by roughly $49,812,000. And funding to schools under the WSF would fall by roughly $39 million. Again, looking at the cost um, analysis that we did, we found that, that schools could reduce their costs by almost as much, a little over $38 million. So as the WSF funding falls, costs can also fall. And that pretty much is the detail behind this paper. So if, does anyone want to say concluding remarks? Or? No, I think we'll just open it, open it up for uh, questions now. Thank you. Uh, I hope you don't, can you hear me? Yes. Good. Yeah, if I play devil's advocate here, having worked in several school districts and believe that we need to be a little more creative as we educate our children and family, families. Um, when I listen to the stats from Mr. Michos, I'm thinking, okay, you want to say DC public schools can save $8 million by not doing this program, but what you don't include and I suspect I don't think you'd want this to happen to you at GW, nor Ms. Odd would want this to happen to her at Hopkins, is you leave out teacher salaries, you leave out benefits, you leave out the costs of employees. I support, and you leave out what the argument is for how much money charter schools bring in to the system. So if vouchers, by not having vouchers in the D.C. public school system, like any other school district, is as dysfunctional as can be, same thing in Baltimore, same thing anywhere else, I don't, you didn't make an argument to me to keep the voucher system going as a way for D.C. public schools to keep money coming in because someone's going to have to pay for teachers and the reason the teachers are losing out in D.C. is they're not certified. So. You, cut, you lose teachers, you lose students, so you want to send them to a voucher school where teachers aren't qualified to teach? I don't think so. I, I just don't get your argument here. It just doesn't compute. So I thank you for addressing it. Yeah, let me say something about that. Uh, what I want to say real fast is that the D.C. school board decided to fund D.C. schools based on a student formula. So 
Every, every DC has two, though. Okay. 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 So anyway, so basically, the way it works is the principals at the school get their revenues reduced when students leave, you know, Banneker and go to Baloo. I mean, when they leave, whatever. Between schools, once principal loses that student's weighted student formula, and the other the other principal gains it. Now that does not happen in very many places. That at the school level, you count the number of students, and that's and that's how the schools are funded. So, the, in D.C. specifically, the schools have to manage their expenses to changes in enrollment, which is not the case everywhere. So, as students have left for charter schools and have left the district, the principals have had to deal deal with reduced weighted student funding formulas. But um, the, the problem that I think is existing with that program is that the principals aren't able to attract students to their school to raise their funding. It's like they, they don't have a lot of control over how many students they gain. Maybe they have a control over how many they lose, but they don't have the benefit to you know, kind of control the revenue side, but they have to control the expense side. So I think without choice, using the weighted student formula may not be the best way to go. But also, the, like the uniform per student funding formula, the base amount's gone up every year, and it's been flat in the weighted student formula for at least three years, which means a smaller percentage is going to the schools every year, which I think it makes it very difficult for the um, principals in the D.C. public school system. And many of them have let go of their music teachers and art teachers. And, and that's just the, the way it is going because they're dealing with reduced revenues every year. And I don't mean from the voucher program. I mean from in general because like 15,000 students have gone to the charter schools. So, well, they're competing, but they can't attract students because there's not a system of choice in D.C. So, I mean, they, they're kind of... Right. That's why I'm just saying it works against the principals in the D.C. public school system. I mean, they can't, they can't try to get kids to come to their school in order to... I'm sorry? Okay. So anyway, but as far as the cost side of it that um, we did for the paper, the cost <laughs> estimates, uh, Leanne can tell you how that was done, but it includes the teachers. It, to it includes the total cost at the school. That's how we did it, the total cost at the school level. It's, so it includes salaries and benefits. Right. That's in there. We use DCPS data on total cost to every school, and then uh, we uh, just determine the amount that a change of enrollment of one type of student would change total cost at the school. That's, that's how it was done. So it does include salaries and benefits. Yeah. Yes, Eric? thank you. Uh, Larry Uzel. Uh, Wait for the microphone. Thank you. Is there a microphone at the middle someplace? <coughs> Thank you very much. My name is Larry Uzel, and I, I think all of the panelists should be congratulated on very crisply summarizing a, an extremely detailed study. I know how hard it must have been to get all of that into such a short oral presentation. There are some things that I, I don't understand. I don't know if you can make them understandable in an oral presentation. I'm going to be eager to read the detailed study. Uh, one is the following. When you talk about saving money, you can either mean saving money for the bureaucracy or you can mean saving money for the taxpayers, or maybe both. My impression from what you've said is that really you're talking about saving money for the bureaucracy, the money that's been saved for the D.C. government or for the D.C. public school system. This has not ended up back in the hands of the taxpayers. And I connect that with what Mr. Enlow said, uh, something all of us should remember, that no voucher program anywhere in the country has led to a loss of funding for the local public school system. And I wonder if this just isn't a political reality that we have to deal with, not a mathematical reality, not a matter of, of, of fiscal accounting, but politically, we can't pass voucher programs unless basically we bribe the existing public school establishment and guarantee that there's a safety net under them so that they won't lose money even if all their students leave. So maybe they'll get paradise. They won't have a single student, but they'll be able to spend not as you said, 53%, but 100% of, uh, of DC revenues uh, just on central staff. Uh, is, isn't there a problem with, uh, um, don't make it me wrong, I'm for the DC voucher program, but isn't a painful reality we have to deal with that it may end up aggravating that problem that you pointed out in DC, that DC has one of the worst ratios in the country of money actually going to the classroom as opposed to money that is retained in the central bureaucracy. My answer is yes. No. Yes, I mean, I think there's a note in the paper that the money that the D.C. city government saves 
could either be returned to taxpayers or spent on something else, but I think the political reality is that it probably won't be returned to taxpayers. It might fill potholes or something else, right? But as far as the school system, uh, the, the, the money that, if it was locally funded, then DCPS would uh, see their revenues reduced by the Uniform Per Student Funding Formula, and then they would have to deal with that. Now, they pass a part of that onto the principals, and part of it they would have to deal with themselves. But um, they seem to be taking a larger chunk every year for central administration. So I don't know if this would be something that would stimulate that to change or not. But, but the reality is, is that the, they do get that $13 million grant. Yeah. So it's like you're saying, they're, they're actually better off. Yeah. They, but we, they, we taxpayers <coughs> yeah, Right. With we, the bureaucracy. Right. Exactly. Right. So back here on the uh, right side, there's a microphone right. coming. I'd like to follow him up. Um, that's okay. Steve Corman, Georgetown University. I'd like to follow up on that a little bit. That's a very disconcerting figure, the 53%. Um, has that remained level over the years? Or is that you just mentioned just now that was increasing? And also, has that increased or remained level as a result of the implementation of the D.C. Opportunity Scholarship Program? I, I has there been any change at all on that? I don't think it's been affected by that because of the system of the two funding formulas, the UPSFF, sorry to use the acronyms, but that's from DC to DCPS, the base amount has gone up every year. It's gone up about 8% over the last three years. The base amount of, the, of what goes to the schools has been flat. So by definition, less a lower percent is getting to the schools every year because they've kept their base amount flat at 4,620 and the base amount from DC to DCPS has been going up. And that base amount, by the way, goes to DCPS and DC charter schools. So that amount's been going up, but the amount that's been passed on to the schools has been flat. I also have <laughs> just one follow-up question, and that's pertaining to the $13 million, the third plank of the DC School Choice Program. And I'd, I'd like to know, in your research, if you came across exactly, um, well, in, in the case like you indicated there was a surplus in the area of $5 million after the amount lost for voucher students. Um, did, you, did you come across exactly what that money was earmarked for, or if in fact what it was used for, because I'm, an, I'm aware that the DC government had trouble even submitting an implementation plan for that money. Um, I'm also aware that implementation plan was also eventually submitted so I'd just like to ask in your study if you're aware what this money was earmarked for and what it was ultimately used for. Well, I, Thank I'd you. love to know <laughs> if you have access to that implementation plan that you talked about. I'd love to see it. But it, within the bill, it's laid out how the money is supposed to be set, spent. But it basically says it, it basically says that DCPS will come up with you know a, a detailed accounting of how they distribute the money. And I have tried and tried and tried to figure out what they did with the money, and we just couldn't figure it out. So we went through DCPS, and I also went through um, a few Congress people's offices, uh, Tom Davis in particular, and uh, my, my personal congressman is Jim Moran. And they were polite, and they looked and they looked, but but they just weren't be they, they couldn't figure out. We heard uh, something about libraries. Where it went. What, I heard libraries. Libraries and school buildings is presumably what they were supposed to spend the money on. But they were sp supposed to um, prepare a detailed plan explaining how they just, how they spent that money. And we never could and, locate and, it. And we've read the financial statements, we've read the budgets, we've read yeah. the DC tax code. I mean, everywhere I've there. seen the federal grants delineated, and even in the federal grants, either it's buried or, I mean, it's not, does not say anything about the Opportunity Scholarship Grant. I don't know. We, we looked for it, and we ended up having yeah. to put a footnote, like, we don't know how this money got spent exactly because we weren't able to figure it out. I, I'd just like to add briefly, if there are any media in the audience, uh, that would be a great uh, story idea. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the back on the left. Thank you. I just wanted to talk for a second about how important it really is that this program be universal in the district. My name is Mark Lerner. I'm a longtime uh, Cato supporter, but I'm also uh, – Chairman of the Board of the William E. Doerr Public Charter School for the Performing Arts here in the district. And we have offered actually to open a private high school to accept voucher 
kids. You know, there are about 1,700 students in the program this year, but there are very few slots uh, for high school students. This past fall, about 24 kids had to exit the program. Uh, in this coming fall, it could be as many as 80. Um, we made the offer to open the school, but looking at the finances at $7,500 a kid, it just doesn't work. So if we could attract, you know, not 80 kids or, or, or less than that, but 300, 400 kids, then we could start to put together an economic model where this thing would make sense. So not only in D.C. do we have this perverse incentive where DCPS is saving money by having kids come to the voucher program, but we also have this financial incentive where new schools are not going to be able to open because of the voucher amount. Yeah, and, and we could add to that the fact that there's a sunset clause in the D.C. voucher program, which means that all of this funding, even what exists today, may go away in another few years, discouraging people like yourself from opening up new schools. Uh, were there any other uh, questions? Yes, uh, over here on the uh, right. Hi, I'm Joe McTighe from CAPE. I have a question about number two on the first sheet of your handout. Sure. You mentioned that funding to schools must fall by $5.8 million, and then DCPS bureaucracy has to reduce spending by an additional $2 million. But if DCPS is losing $8 million from the D.C. government but gaining, what is it, $13 million from the feds for a net gain of five, why does it have to reduce spending anywhere? Well, then, uh, all right, if you take a look at at three under there, it says that they received the uh, $13 million federal grant. So I, I think if you look at one, it says that, or if you look at two, it says that under the UPSFF funding, DCPS loses about $8 million. Of that $8 million, $5.8 million is lost by the schools. Well, there's still an extra $2 million that has to be lost. And then if you look at three, we say, well, but... The federal government provided a, a, a federal grant of $13 million, so it's a moot point. They end up being ahead by uh, whatever that amount was. Right. That's, that's exactly my point. So yeah. why does it have to reduce spending on schools by 5.8 or it, bureaucracy by 2? It, it doesn't under doesn't. the current system, but under a system in which they didn't receive that federal grant, they would have to. The, the schools have to, though, because of the weighted student formula. The, the, the schools do have to reduce yeah. it. The schools have to because their budgets come out of the weighted student formula, which is based on the number of students they enroll. So the, the central administration doesn't have to, but the schools would have to. Mm -hmm. Yes, so we're here on the right as well. Uh, yes, my name is Bob Richard. Uh, Mr. Enlow, uh, in your opening remarks, uh, you said no system has uh, lost funding. I guess I'm following up on the first gentleman's question, uh, getting off of D.C. for a moment. Uh, is that a political reality that the, uh, the funding is going to have to stay stable in any public system that uh, has a voucher system? And is that a total figure or a per-student figure? Uh, it's both, a total and a per student. And what you're seeing in the voucher programs around the country is, is as you say, it's more of a reallocation of resources. Um, is what we're, we're, not seeing, we're not seeing places in Milwaukee and Cleveland take the savings that they're seeing from the voucher program and plowing them back into taxpayers. That, that is money that ends up going into the general fund of, of schools that allows a greater per-pupil budget to exist in public schools. So we're not seeing them. What the good thing is is uh, we're, we're seeing a more student-centered funding formula coming out of Cleveland and, and Milwaukee. That's the positive uh, of, of the voucher programs, which we're finding also in other states. Uh, but we're reallocating resources here is what we're doing. And, and the reality is we have to, we've been trying to figure out what's sort of the variable amount of funding per student so you can set the voucher amount just under it so that you can convince you know, state legislators that they won't lose money by doing this. And that tends to be very close to what the average private school tuition is anyway, because it's so much lower than the public school funding, so that, that that is kind of the way you have to go. Well, uh, we have time for just one or two more questions. Uh, yes, uh, over here at the back on the left. Hi, Deborah Simmons. I wanted to know if you took into account dropout rates 
because in often, and in many cases, by the time the first semester ends, particularly in high schools with older teenagers, they've literally dropped out of school. And um, so that while on one side of the ledger, the schools don't have that money, but on the other side, they really don't even need it because the students aren't there anyway. So did you look at dropout rates or? Not specifically, yeah. but it is true. I mean, it's just interesting you bring that up. Talk about the loss of money, but you lose the student too. So, you know, it seems like that shouldn't be that hard to understand. You lose the student, you lose the money. But um, we didn't look at dropout rates specifically. But, you know, the funding formulas are based on prior year enrollments. And so you yeah. get funded for an extra year after you're gone anyway. So. <laughs> Very few states have uh, funding formulas that don't do prior year. In Indiana, it's prior five year, you know, so you never lose money if you're a government school in Indiana. So um, after five years, after five years, yeah, sure, you graduated hopefully. Okay, so we have time for one last question, if there are any, and okay, right here at the uh, front. Hi, Ashley March from the Cato Institute. Uh, this was 2003-2004. Um, do you know what the federal grant was for the following two years? Thirteen million. The federal grant? Yeah. So. That's part of the law. So it, it may be. It's not clear to me what, what, whether they received the thirteen million dollars or not. So. Uh, it's not clear to me again what, whether in year two and year three they're going to continue to receive that thirteen million dollars federal grant. Well, they would already have received it, wouldn't they? For the first year, but now we're in the second year. Okay. Well, we can't really even find evidence that it was ever received ever because we can't figure out where it came in and what it was spent on. But I do have a copy of the two thousand six <laughs> DCPS budget where they say that they want to protect those federal grants. And suggesting that they are going to use it for libraries and that it's going to be an important part of their budget in the out years to, to maintain those federal grants. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're planning on um, getting them. Of course they are. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well. Now it's going to be like a cut. If you're <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're, we're suspecting that they'll want the grant to continue even after the voucher program funding is terminated. Uh, well, I think we now have a lunch ready for us upstairs for anyone who's interested, and I thank you all for coming very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.